welcome to the What to Expect While Fostering and Adopting podcast show. If you're a foster mom on the journey to adoption, already adopted, or somewhere in the middle, trying to figure out how to navigate the foster care system, wanting to grow your family through adoption, trying to balance everything, or stuck in that space of all things unknown, you're in the right place. What if there was a way to fast track your knowledge, prepare you for the good and the hard, and somebody who could answer that long list of questions I know you have? Hi friend, I'm Christine Marie, biblical mindset coach, adoptive mom, and previous foster parent of 77 children. Yep, you heard that right, 77 kiddos. I'm your host, and my goal is to help make your journey a lot easier by sharing my best tools, techniques, and skills that helped me pivot from foster care to adoption, fully surrender, and trust the process. I'm about to bring some calm to the chaos and show you how to navigate through this journey with a whole lot of grace. So go grab your cup of coffee and let's jump in. So today I'm super excited to dive into a completely different topic. Today we're going to talk about is it possible for a nonverbal child with autism to become verbal? Well, it happened in our home and I wanted to share all the things about it and dive into it. I remember like it was yesterday when I got a phone call, I don't remember the exact year. As I mentioned before, we were foster parents for 10 years. We took in 77 foster kiddos, but this kiddo was one that we had for almost six of those years. So I remember we got a phone call from the caseworker and she was kind of in disbelief. And she said, I don't know the last time that this happened, but we have a child who's six and we need a home for him but there's a few things I need to tell you. Now, us taking kiddos with autism was not a new thing for us. We had already had a placement currently in our home of a kiddo with severe autism. So this might've been what kind of raised us to the top of the list for somebody to call about this child. But she said, Christine, I need to tell you something. This child, we would describe him as feral. Y'all, I didn't know what feral meant. Like I said, I was probably, I was 27 when we started fostering. So I was super young. I just had my two little boys and all I wanted was to adopt a little girl, right? So how things changed and moved forward and ended up that I was receiving a call about a child that this caseworker said was considered a feral child with nonverbal autism. She said that he was very aggressive, did not understand words. And so it would definitely be a very challenging case. So at this point, I had our two daughters that were pre-adoptive at this time. And so there was still a lot of unknowns. Then we had our other kiddo in our home that was, that did have severe autism. And then I had our two boys. So you guys, that's already five. So this would have been our sixth kiddo. And he was super extreme. But I was up for a challenge. I definitely felt like, okay, it can't be as bad as she said. But she said, I need you to meet his relative who was bringing him in at a McDonald's parking lot. Because she was going to get him something to eat at McDonald's. And then that would help make the transition from her to me a little bit easier. So he looked really scared and tiny for a six-year-old when we picked him up. And I just went by myself. I buckled him in the back of the seat. He was pretty timid. 
as soon as I got in the car, I thought, I, I got this. Like, this is not that complicated. And then if you've ever heard a child maybe slam their hand in a door or in a car, you know that high-pitched scream, like that high-pitched scream that makes every single thing in your body tense up, freeze, and panic all at the same time? He let out one of those screams, and it went for about 20 seconds. It scared me, completely caught me off guard, and I thought, oh my goodness, okay, he's got to get it out, and that's okay. So I left to start coming home, and you guys, he did it again. Literally every 20 minutes, like clockwork, he let out one of these screams. It was panicking to my body. It was loud. I didn't know why he was screaming, but I did know he was nonverbal. That led from that moment, from him being with us for another six years. And I want you to imagine this child in your mind. He's six years old. He's wearing diapers. We went through a lot of bowel things. And if you have a kiddo who has trauma, let me just say this. It's not uncommon for a child in foster care who's been through a traumatic situation to have bowel issues or to struggle with bowels. And the reason for this is what are the two things that children can control? One of them happens to be their bathroom, using the bathroom, whether they are doing that on themselves or in a diaper or on the toilet, that is something that they are in control of. And so I would lovingly tell people that I became a poop expert. And that is because I had to learn so much because of this child about digestion, food, what comes in, what processes, um, what doesn't. I became what I would say an expert in this area. And I know it's kind of diving into a deep topic really quick, but this is the thing. When you're a foster parent, you find out a lot about topics you didn't know that you would become an expert in. And this was one of them. He had his own room in our house. And I remember he had a twin bed and we didn't have a headboard on it or anything. It was just like, imagine like the box spring, a mattress, and then the blankets, because we didn't know um, if he would hit his head, if he would, um, you know, get hurt on it. We really just didn't know. So we kind of planned for the most basic at first. There were so many different things that we, that we had to learn about. So every person has basic human needs. They are food, clothing, shelter, sleep, air, water, and safety. So most of these he was not exposed to in his life. In fact, his safety was very threatened at most times in his life. He did have air, but something you don't think about with air is that when you're around drugs or cigarettes or in unclean environments, the very air that you breathe is not clean. So therefore, on a subconscious level, it impacts your, your growth or your development, even on a cellular level. Food was not something that he was used to having provided for him. Clothing, again, another thing. Shelter was never something that was a, a given for him. And sleep. A lot of kiddos on the spectrum really struggle with sleep. So the first thing is that we made modifications for were his food. We went to feeding him 
every hour for a while. It doesn't mean like a big meal, right? But offering him a snack, offering him water, offering him juice. Over time, we would give him options. Do you want water? Do you want apple juice? And we would show him both. Even with a child who is nonverbal, there are ways to give them choice and help them to take back their control. Allowing him this over time allowed him to trust us and open up more and began this metamorphosis of him being able to use some words. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But we offered him food for the first few weeks, few months, very regularly. And when he came into our house, I remember he would, he went to the table and he didn't sit down in a chair. And when she said feral, he just was not socialized with other people, kids very regularly, nor in an environment that I think he knew to sit down in a chair to eat. I put his food on a plate in front of him and I gave him a fork and he used his hands to eat. And then he threw his plate when he was done. It was completely alarming. Nothing that I was prepared for. And when she said, Christine, when she called me and said, this is probably going to be a challenge, I had no idea what I was in for. Truly no idea. But you guys, I am what I would consider somebody who's up for a challenge. I uh, was wanting to always learn more, like dig into what has he been through? Um, what are maybe some drugs that he was exposed to, or maybe what was his life like before so that I could break it down. That has transpired now, now that we are no longer fostering to, I love brain science. I love figuring out how things work. So that's exactly what I did then, even though I didn't have a full understanding of what that meant that I was doing, but he threw his plate for a long time. So what we ended up doing is um, sitting next to him and holding his plate down and helping him eat literally like a one-year-old or nine-month-old when you first give them a spoon and you begin to show them how to use it to eat. We started back then. We had to go back to the age developmentally that he was. Now, were there some other ways that he was older? Well, yes, physically, he was definitely not a six to nine month old. He didn't know how to play. He didn't know how to, what to do with little cars. He didn't know how to color. There was nothing that he knew how to do other than assess his environment that was going on around him and scream that high pitched scream every 20 minutes. So we were able to see on the first night when he went to bed, he slept about two hours and then what he would do is rock. He would sit in like a sitting position on his bed or on the floor and he would go back and forth. He was very stressed out and he would rock, constantly rock, which is called self-soothing. So he was trying to self-soothe his anxiety. The next morning, grandmother had told me that he did not like baths. He was scared of water. I believe he had a traumatic event somewhere related to water. So even taking a bath or a shower was not an option. So that typical time when you go put a kiddo in the bathtub in the morning can be a fun time for kiddos. That was a very high stress, very high stress time for him. So rather than baths for a while, I just used wipes and wiped him down the best that I could and helped him see that I was a safe person and that he could trust me to do that. 
Eventually, we started with a tiny, tiny amount of water in the bathtub, and I would put toys in there for him and, you know, fill the bathtub a little bit before he even went in there. And slowly over time, over the course of at least a year, he began to love baths. He loved baths. It was almost one of his favorite things. And then we got to putting bubbles in the bathtub and the sensory part of having the bubbles in there and him touching those. He loved that. And that became such an incredible bonding time for us to let him play in the bathtub and for us to be there with him and making him laugh, right? Because the first six years of his life were very traumatic, very scary, very overwhelming. And one thing I learned about digestive issues is that the damage that can be caused, usually with GI issues, it takes about the same amount of time to undo them as it did to do them. So for those six years, that we had him, he made a ton of progress in the area of digestion and bowel movements, but there was so much damage to his intestines that we really had to have a, I guess, realistic outlook that that was not going to be a quick fix. As far as clothing, we looked at different things. We offered him, you know, at first I just dressed him, cut off the tags, did some of the things that you can look up and see that a child with autism, things that would be sensory overwhelming for them. But then over time, I would give him two options. So maybe a sweatshirt that's fuzzy and a sweatshirt that's not fuzzy. And I would let him pick, I would show him. And of course, in the beginning, he did not like he just grabbed one. It wasn't like he was making a thoughtful decision because he was truly still in survival mode for a very long time. But over time, he did start choosing. He did start seeing the freedom in, that he did have choice. And he started showing us what he did like, what he didn't like. He surely loved all of those soft minky blankets and I don't know if you any of you have experience with kiddos on the spectrum but sometimes those softer materials are just extremely comforting so like I said he did have his own room I'm talking about shelter here he had his own room for the first year at our house so that he could truly have his own space his own area uh, there were toys in his room that he wouldn't hurt himself on he spent time sitting on his bed when he wasn't sleeping and rocking or on the floor rocking. And we did try and keep him the best that we could to a normal night routine. So if, you know, he needed to go to bed at 10 and he could get up at six, then he would be in his room for those times and we would tuck him back into bed and do the best that he could. But we needed him to understand that there's a schedule, right? So over time we worked through that and then um, eventually we were able to find a routine that did work best for him. So sleep was a huge challenge and we ended up going to see a doctor, multiple doctors actually to help us kind of sort out this sleeping issue. But that takes a while to get into doctors, honestly. So we did the best that we could supplementing with melatonin. We did essential oils. We did weighted blankets, but there's only so much you can do with a child who is in fight or flight constantly. So that was just a long journey. So we did eventually find a medication that would help him to get a good night's sleep and find sleep routines that helped him. We've had we had other kiddos with autism that that were never able to quite figure out a sleep hygiene. That was a challenge. When a child has good sleep, that's the time that your body rests and restores. And especially if you have, if you're on the autism spectrum, your body, it experiences things differently than the rest of us. So they at times can be on sensory overload. So that sleep is so much more important for them. 
So that was something that we really worked on for a while. As far as water, that is something that's super important as a, a basic human need. And so something that we did is we had him, even during bedtime, have a water with him at all times. So whether it was a sippy one with a straw or when he got older, it was a water bottle. We made sure that he had water with him every moment. So that way he knew if he was thirsty, he could get a drink. And in the first year, year and a half, he wasn't able to even understand how to use a straw. So that was something that we had to teach him how to do and work with him on. So he used a regular cup. So it's interesting though, looking back now on all of the things that we did and implemented and all of the people that we worked with to help him get to where he was. So a few of the services that we utilized, as soon as he was placed with us within the very first week, we had a speech evaluation, an occupational therapy evaluation, and a physical therapy evaluation. Those are services that I always recommend that a new foster parent does within the first week. And the reason for that is you really want to understand what are the internal workings of this child so that you can best set up a supportive place at home for them? One of the things that we noticed for him is that he had a lot of overwhelming stimulation coming from everywhere. So we got a trampoline and we made sure that we got a really safe trampoline that uh, even zipped up on the sides so that he could jump and lay in there. You'd almost even imagine it's like a playpen for a big kid, right? But we could be in there with him so he knew it was safe and then he could have fun. Eventually, that was one of his most favorite places to be because he could jump and laugh and we even got a basketball hoop in there eventually when he was over 10 with a soft basketball and he actually played in there. Eventually we realized that pressure vests and weighted vests were a really great thing. And it wasn't something that we could implement right away, but something that helps with stimulation is a pressure vest because it's kind of like a hug. It's like a hug for a kiddo all the time. And we did have to figure out a routine that, you know, he would have it on for a certain amount of time and then have it off for a certain amount of time. And that was really, you know, trial and error and working with his different therapists and working with his teachers and really finding out what worked well for him. The weighted vest is another option, but they both work very differently. And those were tools that we were able to access through his OT and PT specialists. So it was just amazing working with the therapist because there were so many incredible things that they do for these kiddos that we would have never thought of. And then for me, it was an opportunity to say, okay, how can I reinvent this or recreate this at home? So things that really, really worked for him at therapy, you know, like a crash pad. I had never even heard of a crash pad, but he loved it because he could get that sensory feedback on it. And he really loved that. So that's another thing that you can take a look at. When we first got him, he was placed with us as a regular foster care placement. So there were no additional services he got. There was no additional payment that he got. There was no additional level of care. And so that was literally working from the very beginning process. So within a few months, we were able to get him evaluated for developmental disabilities. And that was the first time uh, that we had brought in another kiddo and went through the whole DD. It's called DD process. And they have a developmental disabilities worker that comes out and they assess your kiddo and then they send you to all kinds of testing. 
even though he was very easily identifiable that he had autism, they need to, for documentation, prove that per se. So he was sent to all different doctors, had all kinds of evaluations done. And friends, this takes a very long time. I don't know how long it took for him to become uh, eligible for developmental disabilities, but I would say looking back, it took almost a year. And then once he was qualified for developmental disabilities, that is an amazing benefit because what happened then is they gave me additional funding so I could actually hire a, a nanny or a one-on-one -on -one support person to be with him because as I mentioned earlier, we had five other kiddos and he literally needed one-on-one -on -one care. But it was also a really great thing for him to be socialized around all of a family and these other kids who considered him their brother. And so I think him being around these other children was actually a really great benefit. There were many points where it could have been very easy to have him placed in a residential or hospital type facility because he truly was beyond that level of care. He had a very high safety risk because of that natural fight or flight that was really ingrained into him. He was a runner. So anytime there was an open door and any opportunity, he would bolt. And I can't tell you how many times we had to call the police because we couldn't find him. And you guys, that was one of the most terrifying situations to have him run and Praise Jesus every time he was found and then we put other systems into place with DHS or child welfare in order to provide an additional level of safety for a child. So for instance, like alarms on a door or a lock on your front door of your house, right? Just these different things, a lock on your front door, I mean like a high up additional lock. You need to prove that a child in your home needs it. So every time something would happen, we would get approval for another level of care. So one of the things that we had on him was we had one of those metal like permanent bracelets that says his name and says that he's, you know, nonverbal autism and our phone number to call. Another thing eventually that we stepped up to is we were able to have a watch that he wore that was actually a tracker. It had a tracking system in it. So when he would run, if it was even more than three seconds, I knew exactly where he was. And of course, that was the last line of defense, but he ran a lot of times at school as well. And so it was just a very big safety concern, especially sometimes when he would get off the bus, he would bolt. Then eventually they began um, putting him in a seatbelt on the bus. And then he had a a vest that actually harnessed him to the seat. So there were a lot of steps that were taken just to keep him safe. And like I said, he was a runner. So a few things that we eventually put into place were we had alarms on every single window in our home. Every window in our home had an alarm. So if it was opened up, the alarm would sound off. Now, of course, you know, our other kiddos knew that. And so there were ways to turn them off. But I would say developmentally, he was probably maybe less than three years old by the time that he left our home. So his ability to understand how to do those things, if we didn't show him, uh, were not great. That was a good thing in as far as keeping him safe and not him not understanding how to turn off the alarms on those. We also had an alarm on the front door that just sounded when it was opened. 
We had cameras all over the exterior of our home so that if he did run, we were able to see which direction very quickly that he ran. And then we had a fence around our backyard. We had so many safety measures in place that to the outsider, you would have never noticed. You would have never seen that there were alarms on the windows. You wouldn't have noticed. Uh, But all the caseworkers that came in and out of our house, his attorneys, they all knew. And it was truly just to keep him safe. Another fun thing that I did is I always wanted my house to look really nice. I wanted my house to look and feel like a normal home and be a place that our kiddos would be proud to live. And so I always loved decorating. It's one of my favorite things to do. And what you couldn't see is that we had a lot of pictures up and... None of it was super expensive. I would buy a lot of stuff at the secondhand store so that if it did get ruined, it was not a big deal. It would not break my heart. But they were all screwed with a screw into the wall. So, and then sometimes I would paint over the screws so you couldn't even tell. And then like decorations that I had up on the mantle or, I mean, I had a lot of decorations out and they were hot glued to the mantle or hot glued to itself and then to the mantle. Uh, You guys, I came up with the most creative things because in addition to being a runner, he was also a thrower of things. So vents in the floor would occasionally get thrown at people or in their direction. Thankfully, he did not have good aim, but very quickly we realized that you could just screw in right next to the vent in the floor. You could just screw it down and it will never come out. So we took a lot of precautions. And so if you are new to being a foster parent or you're considering taking in a child with autism, some of these tools might help you in planning or even kiddos who don't have autism. Sometimes kiddos in foster care have a lot of aggression or anger that they are bottling up and sometimes they throw things or break things. And the most important thing to do in that situation is to be able to keep everybody in the home safe. So that is why things were screwed in or glued down. <laughs> and people always wondered, how how does nothing get broken? And it was because I was trying to think a few steps ahead of how can I make this look beautiful that nobody will notice, but it will keep everybody in the home safe. So a few other things that we did is we had a sign language specialist come over to our home. We worked with a sign language tutor for years, actually, to help our children, our other foster children, and him learn some basic sign language so that we could communicate with him. And then we also had a system that we used called PEX, which is P-E-C-S, and they're little pictures. You can use it as a schedule. You can also have little strips of it. You could have books with them in there. We were able to make sure that he was using the same system at school as he was at home. And pretty soon he was able to understand that his schedule for the day, again, planning, knowing what's coming up is all another sense of control for him so that he could feel more comfortable. And so we would have a a display board in our dining room, which was on our main floor, that had all of his schedule in it. It had pictures of different food options. And so sometimes he would run to the board and grab me a little picture of a, a glass of milk or a plate of grapes. And he would bring it over to me and show me and I'd say, oh, okay, are you thirsty? You know, he was asking me for food, but he didn't know how to say it. We had a lot of different food options on that board and that was such a piece for him. He was able to communicate. We had this other little thing as like a button and when he touched it, it said more. And when we were teaching him how to eat, 
we had him use that button. And so when he was ready for another bite, he would hit the button and it would say more. You guys, that was really helpful, but probably one of the most annoying things I've ever bought for somebody, but it did really help him. So there's a lot of tools out there. And if you have more questions, I'm happy to help you find resources that might help you with your kiddo. By the time he left our home, he was able to say a few words. He could sign multiple words. He could take you where he wanted you to go. He could show you what he wanted. He could put his shoes on. You guys, I never imagined that that day when I picked him up from that McDonald's parking lot, that he would grow to be the child that he was in just those short six years. It was absolutely incredible what a child can do that for all intensive purposes could have and should have been institutionalized. Most kiddos with his extreme behaviors and disability could easily be without a placement, but with the right loving nurturing home and somebody who is really wanting to find resources, you can help transform a kiddo into a completely different child. Hey friend, I hope that you loved today's episode. I pray it blessed you and helped you see that you have a friend in your corner who truly understands what you're walking through. If so, would you share this episode with someone who's been praying for a breakthrough in their own journey? It would also bless me big time and help others to find this podcast if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also submit your questions, topics that you would like covered, and find a community of like-minded mamas in my private Facebook group by searching what to expect while fostering and adopting on Facebook. See you next time.